0: Hello, and welcome to Haunted and Historic, where we talk about houses, abandoned, historic, and sometimes haunted. I'm Courtney, and I will be your host. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Haunted and Historic. This might be my favorite house that I've researched to date. I can't pinpoint exactly why, but I bonded with this story and many of the people involved. I have become emotionally invested in it, and I can't wait to tell you all about the Casa Loma. I knew immediately that I wanted to research this house from the very beginning of watching the movie, ready or not. I was absolutely enamored by the grounds, the interior hall shots with dark wood walls, long corridors, and I was just about sent over the edge when I saw the secret passageway. However, after all this time researching, I sat down to watch Ready or Not for the second time, and it is not, in fact, the Casa Loma. They did film parts of the movie there, but it is not the primary filming location, and you would honestly never know since the two filming locations are the library for about three seconds and the underground tunnel system. They filmed 85% of the movie at another mansion in Canada, so there's your hint at what movie house will be featured next month. Regardless of how it came to be, I spent more time researching this house than I have ever spent researching one topic. There are so many details to investigate separately, and in all my research, they were never all tied together in one place, so I am extremely proud of the work I've done, and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. I constructed this episode the way that I felt would be best. I don't want to go into a ton of detail about the house until you know how it came to be, so you can appreciate it that much more. We'll start with the history of the owner, Sir Henry Pellet, detail the architect, E.J. Lennox, and break down all the details of this magnificent structure. It's going to be a long one, so please grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy. Henry Pellet was born in Kingston, Canada on January 6, 1859. As a young child, he was known mainly for his determination and desire to be first at everything, which would accurately describe him well into adulthood. He ended up dropping out of school at Upper Canada College to work instead with his father at his brokerage company. He purchased a gold ring for his mother with his very first paycheck, as a way to thank her for all that she'd done for him throughout his life. At age 18, he joined the Queen's Own Rifles as a rifleman. Henry Pellet had an immense love and fascination with the military, and it would become a prevalent and important part of his entire life. Throughout his life, he would also show grand gestures of generosity. At one point, he paid for 891 men to attend a military tournament in New York City, as well as taking 640 men to England for seven weeks of military training, which at the time was said to cost no less than $250,000. This will be an important detail later on. By the time he was 24, he had studied and practiced trading and stock promotion and became partner in one of the most active brokerage companies in Canada, which would lead to the accumulation of his fortune. Another avenue of his wealth was gained from forming companies and financing them by raising money from investors. Thomas Edison had just developed an inexpensive light bulb, and in a time where many people were worried about the safety of electricity, Henry embraced the new technology and established the Toronto Electric Light Company in 1883, which was the first electric company in the city. In 1905, he was awarded the Order of Knight Bachelor, which is part of the British honor system, and it would be known as one of the greatest honors of his life. From that point on, he would be referred to as Sir Henry Pellet or rather, Sir Henry. His wife would be referred to as Lady Mary. Sir Henry Pellet had very fine taste and a crystal clear vision. He knew what he wanted and he was determined to get it. After contacting a friend of his, architect E.J. Lennox, the two began working on planning out the building that would become home to the Pellet family. In nearly all of my research of the Casa Loma, there was little about E.J. Lennox, the architect. I had to specifically search for information about him since none of the books or articles I read detailed him in the necessary way. The Casaloma story is nothing without the pivotal role of Lennox. E.J. Lennox is known as the man who built Toronto. He was the architect for the old City Hall building. Upon completion, he asked if a plaque could be installed to name him as the architect but the city hall was upset that construction had lasted over 10 years and went over budget, so they declined to acknowledge him. In a way to ensure his recognition, he engraved one singular letter on each stone decorative corbel around the eaves line under the roof, spaced just far enough apart that it wouldn't be obvious. It reads, E.J. Lennox, architect. In an article by DolceMag.com, Marta O'Brien, an architecture historian and lecturer, said, quote, if there is something about his buildings that they have in common, it is that they're excellent, and that's why so many of them are still standing. They're obviously well-built, but they were beautifully executed, and the details are very rich. There's lots to see. You can stand at one of his buildings and look for a long time, and you'll keep noticing things, end quote. Unlike other architects at the time, Lennox didn't commit to one singular architectural style or movement. Another quote from the article says, quote, They, like most of the city's remaining historic structures, have become antique treasures left for locals and visitors to find. But thanks to his uniquely ornate style, Lennox's works are easy to spot in the rough, appearing distinctly out of place, yet exactly where they belong, end quote. Over his career, Lennox built nearly 70 buildings, at least 22 of which are still standing. In 1894, he built Toronto's first skyscraper, but it was demolished in the 1930s. After agreeing to work together on the castle, Sir Henry and E.J. Lennox traveled off to Europe to study architecture and gain inspiration for the new house. Much inspiration was taken from the Balmoral Castle in Scotland, with a similar gray sandstone exterior and medieval architecture. The goal would ultimately be to create a grand structure with strong classical and medieval influences that was simultaneously modern and convenient. The beginning of the research and design process started in 1906, but it wasn't until 1909 that the house began the official design stage. Major construction didn't begin until April of 1911. E.J. Lennox was a perfectionist who insisted on using the best materials. He was reported at the construction site constantly, overseeing the workers, ensuring walls were aligned straight, and inspecting each gray sandstone that would cover the exterior of the castle, returning any that were not adequate to complete the job. If you did not perform to his standards, you were cut from the job. Sir Henry hired the Robert Simpson Company to scour Europe for elaborate furnishings. When the castle was finished, the cost of furnishings alone were estimated at $1.5 million. There's a story that circulated about the construction of the castle that elaborates on the mindset of the pellets. It's said that a crew of workers were hanging a crystal chandelier in the dining room when they lost balance and it was sent crashing to the ground. Lady Mary walked in just as it was happening, but only after making sure everyone was okay did she remark, never mind, we'll just order another one. The bathrooms featured gold fixtures and wood paneling from around the world lined the walls intricate floral plaster designs were found in nearly every room of the home the height from the ground to the top of the scottish tower is more than 130 feet about half as high as a sequoia tree a solid stone wall measuring six feet wide and 10 feet high was built to surround the castle adding to the medieval look it took a year and a half to build and cost 250000 dollars With 98 rooms, it was the biggest private home ever built in Canada and was later called the house with 100 rooms. I don't know who was in charge of the room count, but if you already built 98 rooms, why wouldn't you add two more and actually be the house with 100 rooms? Kind of a missed opportunity to me. On the first floor was the library, built with space for 10,000 books. Sir Henry and Lady Mary weren't the biggest readers, so most of the collection was books on gardening and the military. The floor features an optical illusion in the hardwood floors. Because of the herringbone design, when you look across the floor, it appears striped with light and dark wood, but beneath your feet, it seems to be one color. On the elaborate white plaster ceiling above is the Queen's Own Rifle's coat of arms. The conservatory, where Lady Mary held tea parties and receptions, featured a marble floor imported from Italy, along with two brass doors leading in and out of the room. Each door was bought at the cost of $10,000. In the center of the room was an elaborate Italian stained glass dome, costing $12,000. The colorful dome was backlit with 600 light bulbs so the beauty of the glass could be seen in the day and night. Peacock Alley was built as an exact replica of a hallway in the Windsor Castle in England. There hung all of Sir Henry's paintings, said to be the greatest private collection of art in all of Canada at that time. Sir Henry's study was ironically the smallest room in the castle. On each side of the fireplace was a secret passageway. To the left, it would lead up to his bedroom suite. To the right, it would lead to the wine cellar in the basement, said to be one of the finest wine collections in North America. In the billiard room, Sir Henry and E.J. Lennox would keep a running game of billiards and always left the score standing so that neither one of them was defeated. On the second floor was Sir Henry's bedroom, which featured another secret compartment in a pillar where he hid important papers and valuables. His bathroom cost $10,000 to build and was made of white marble and even had a place for a phone. Lady Mary's bedroom is still painted in the original Wedgwood blue and white, which were her favorite colors. Since Mary often used a wheelchair, Sir Henry had an elevator built, which happened to be the first electric elevator in a home within the country of Canada at the time. I saw one mention that the elevator's name was Otis One, which I thought was kind of cute. Lady Mary suggested they adopt the name given to the property of the former owner, Casa Loma, Spanish for house on the hill. It would take 300 men three years to complete the castle. At completion, the castle was 200,000 square feet and cost $3.5 million at that time to build. However, in the summer of 1914 when the Pellets moved in, the castle was not in fact finished. Within weeks, war was declared in England and rumors had begun again about Sir Henry's financial difficulties. The Great Hall, built 60 feet high with 40 feet high leaded glass windows, was built to be the most imposing room of the castle. Upon moving in, Sir Henry had to have heavy curtains hung in an effort to cover the unfinished scaffolding from visiting guests. The basement, which was meant to have a swimming pool, rifle range, and bowling alley, were all unfinished. A grand staircase that was being custom-built in England was delayed indefinitely due to the happening war. Regardless, the Pellets were determined to enjoy their long-awaited castle. Even though financial hardships were overtaking Sir Henry's finances, it didn't stop him from donating money, especially in the hard times during World War I. He provided the money to complete the operating room at Grace Hospital and sent hundreds of packages of food and clothing to prisoners of war in Germany. Property taxes became an issue as the property assessment had gone up fivefold, resulting in taxes of $12,000 a year. General maintenance of the castle, including servant salaries and heating, were approximated at $100,000 a year. The way in which Sir Henry lost his fortune could be an episode all on its own. Dealings with purchased land in a depressed market and failed stock investments would be a few of the ways in which his fortune was lost over the course of approximately 13 years. Finally, in 1923, with a debt of almost $2 million, the the bank commanded him to sign over all the assets to his investment company, essentially leaving him bankrupt. Within a month, he and his wife were forced to move out of their beloved castle. Within a year of leaving the castle, Lady Mary's health began to decline, and she died on April 15, 1924. In June of 1924, the Auction of the Century, as it was called, was held at Casaloma. All the furnishings in the castle were auctioned off to Toronto's social and business elite a collection of famous paintings costing $1.5 million that had been amassed, was auctioned off piecemeal. The proceeds totaled $131,600. Sir Henry was later remarried to Catherine Welland in 1927, three years after Lady Mary passed away. However, it would only be a year and a half before his new bride became sick and died of cancer, leaving Sir Henry alone once again. The castle sat vacant and without heat for two winters before W.F. Sparling acquired the lease in 1925. His plan was to turn the Casa Loma into an apartment-hotel hybrid with an event center. He began repairing the damage and finished the rooms that remained unfinished. The wall between the library and the dining room was knocked down and replaced with pillars. The hotel ultimately failed in 1929 due to financing difficulties, a palpable theme in this story. Since the estate was still owned by Sir Henry, he listed it for sale for $700,000. However, knowing the insurmountable expenses of keeping such a castle functioning, no one was interested in purchasing. In 1933, the city took the property back for $27,000 in back taxes. It was suggested to city council that it be torn down, but many opposed the idea, saying it would destroy a significant part of the city's heritage. However, the longer the building sat vacant and the damage that accumulated by chronic abandonment, the more it seemed that demolition was inevitable. In 1915, E.J. Lennox built his dream home. Using the first three letters of his last name, Lennox, and the first three letters of his wife's maiden name, Wilson, E.J. Lennox named the house Lenwell. The home was a Tudor revival style on five Austin Terrace that featured a terracotta roof and 21 rooms being that Casaloma was his favorite and most grand building of his career, he strategically and lovingly faced his bedroom east, showcasing the Casa Loma up on the hill. Unfortunately, this detail which was one of my favorites while researching this house, quickly turned to heartbreak when I learned that EJ Lennox passed away in 1933. At the time of Lennox's death, Sir Henry had been forced to vacate the castle. The work that Lennox constructed and put so much of his artistry into was in a state of slow decay, having sat vacant for a year. He would never live to see it flourish, to be preserved after years of harsh winters and severe neglect. Things would change for the better in 1936 when Bill Bothwell of the West Toronto Kiwanis Club suggested that his organization turn the Casa Loma into a tourist attraction, to which the city agreed. From what I read online, the Kiwanis Club sounds absolutely wonderful. It is a community-driven organization with an emphasis on helping the youth of their communities. The website reads, quote, Members initiate and develop projects as the need and opportunities arise. Kiwanis is living proof of the changes that a small group of people can accomplish. Each Kiwanis Club has a mandate to have a positive impact in its community, as well as the opportunity to engage in coordinated global initiatives, end quote. It was an incredible undertaking as the deterioration of the building escalated, but it is because of the Kiwanis Club that the Casa Loma was finally able to flourish. In 1937, it was opened as a tourist attraction for the charge of 25 cents per person. Sir Henry was invited to a banquet dinner in August of the opening year. On his 80th birthday in 1939, 225 of the men from Queen's Own Rifles that Sir Henry had taken to England for military training honored him with a tribute banquet, sharing nostalgic memories and camaraderie. With honor to his decades serving the Canadian Armed Forces, Kiwanis members and their wives sang to him, old soldiers never die, bringing Sir Henry to tears. In his speech, he said, quote, I assure you I have my feelings and I cannot help them. I am delighted to be here and I am sorry it has affected me so. I built Casaloma principally as a place where people could enjoy themselves. Your club is now using it for that purpose and bringing enjoyment and happiness to countless people. It could not be put to better use. I am satisfied." End quote. To end the night in the most magnificent way, Sir Henry received a telegram from Queen Mary herself, which said Quote, your colonel-in-chief has great pleasure in sending you warmest congratulations on the occasion of your 80th birthday, end quote. He passed away two months later. The members of Queen's Own Rifles honored him with a military funeral. His casket was placed atop a gun carriage, followed by a riderless horse, black leather boots stuck into the stirrups, reversed, marking the sign of a fallen soldier. His funeral was the largest ever held in Toronto. It was Sir Henry's dream that after his death, the Casa Loma would become a military museum. Now, the third floor has been dedicated to the Queen's Own Rifles Army Unit that he was immensely involved in and defined much of who he was. As for the Casa Loma today, it is well taken care of and loved by the community in Toronto. The castle serves as part museum, part wedding reception, and is available for tours daily. It was named Best Venue in North America in 2016. Every year, more than 650,000 people visit the castle and walk the estate gardens. Tour tickets are $40 for adults and $20 for children. This gives you access to the five-acre gardens around the castle, many of the rooms, a documentary about Sir Henry Pellet himself, and exhibits such as the Antique Car Display and Hollywood Film Gallery, to name a few. On the grounds, there is a cafe for morning coffee and pastries, an outdoor restaurant, and a very upscale steakhouse. The castle was fully restored and finished throughout the years after the Kiwanis took it over. Many of the original furniture pieces that were auctioned off have continued to make their way back to the castle. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said of the artwork. Now, I about lost it when I found out that the Casa Loma hosts Legends of Horror every October for Halloween. The website describes this event as such, quote, the grounds of Casa Loma will once again be transformed into an immersive theatrical experience, done in the presentational form considered Promenade Theater, in which the audience walks at their own pace through the 1.2-mile trail commencing in the lower gardens of Casa Loma and winding its way through the castle tunnels and darkest spaces never before open to the public. Throughout the over one-hour experience, the audience is immersed in a variety of theatrically designed sets in gardens and chambers below the castle. A crescendo of the production is the 3D projection on the exterior of the castle, which brings the characters of the storyline and the walls of the castle to life." End quote. I watched the trailer, and when I tell you I've never wanted to do anything more in my entire life, I am not kidding. When I finally visit the castle, I will most definitely be visiting in October. Thank you so much for spending the time to listen to the history of the incredible Casa Loma. Like I said, I wasn't prepared for how emotionally invested I'd become while researching this story. There were so many times when I felt heavy and couldn't help but cry, specifically when I learned of Lennox's passing during the castle's years of abandonment, and when Sir Henry passed only two months after his awards ceremony at the castle. If you felt like you fell in love and then had your heart broken, then I've done my job. It is a story that will stay with me and I am even more intent on making sure that I'm able to visit the castle in person someday. I truly hope you enjoyed it and find yourself wanting to learn more about it yourself, whether you check out the website for more pictures or the podcast show notes for books and articles about the Casa Loma. It's a building that deserves the attention and appreciation for all that went into it and to EJ Lennox and Sir Henry Pellet who brought it to life, along with the Kiwanis Club of Toronto who gave it a future. If you don't already, please follow me on Instagram at Haunted and Historic. I'll be posting some of my favorite pictures of Sir Henry Pellet and the Casa Loma. Thank you so much for joining. I'll talk to you in the next one.